Hi, everyone. This is Caitlin. And this is Jessica. And this is Calling All Spirits. How are you doing today, Jess? I am good. I am good. Just enjoying a Sunday afternoon. Nice and relaxed. Yes, and indoors because Texas is melting. Oh, God. I mean, I looked at the heat index today was 105. And it's like, no, this is not okay. No, when I moved to Texas, I did not sign up to to live on the surface of the sun. (laughs) I had to drive back from Houston today and stopping to get gas about killed me. Oh, my gosh. I know. And I mean, people are gonna be like, well, you'll live in Texas. But it's like, no, this is even hot for this time of year in Texas. (laughs) Like this is, oh, it's kind of a killer. So um, drinking my hot tea, wishing I was in England, like watching all my little British shows on YouTube. Oh my god, right? After we looked up the heat index after I got home, Joey like turned around and he looked up the heat index for uh, parts of New England and I'm officially salty. So for those of our (laughs) friends on the East Coast, I wish I was you. And I'm sad that it's hot here. It is. It is. I know we want to get out later and it's, you know, I'm not exaggerating when it's like you really can't go out to like seven o'clock, maybe eight o'clock, then it's like Mm -mm. bearable. (laughs) You can get out. Yeah, the sun has to be, like, on the other side of the trees before it even, like, is breathable outside. Yes. It's, yeah, it's like, and I know there are places like Death Valley in California where my aunt was when I was growing up. Like, it gets to 124, but it's the desert. And also, you're right. not. Right. And in, that's the upside to the desert. Like, I don't miss the desert at all for most reasons. Right. But the fact that when the sun goes down, the temperature instantly drops. Right. I miss that so much. Yes, because that really doesn't happen. And yeah, it's awful when I came to, well, not awful, but when I came to Houston, it took me, uh, I think, seven, eight months to stop bringing a sweater with me when I go out after dark because <laughs> I'd be in Albuquerque and I'd be like, all right, it might get chilly around 10, 30, 11 yes. o'clock. So I want to have a sweater. Yes. That's not true in Houston. It took me no. a way too long to process. <laughs> no, no, you're 100 percent right. Yes, it's kind of just been a indoor stay out of the sun kind of day, especially being a little ginger. I would do much better up north or in Europe. We're going to move you to like Nova Scotia or or back to Ireland or something. Yes, I think I could tolerate that a little bit better. You know, it's okay. We've just got, what, four more months of this? Oh, you're adorable. You know summer doesn't end until October. I know. That's true. July, August, September. Well, that would be four months, October. But I mean, if we're being realistic, probably November. I mean, yeah, it's like the end of October. We've had way too many fall events that have been like the fourth weekend of October and it's still 95 degrees outside. This is true. This is so, true. Like, I know. We, we, we can't breathe easy until November and then we get... <laughs> Two and a half months of not horrible, followed by a Valentine's Day with the air conditioning on. Exactly. Or a complete freeze. You don't know. Or we're frozen solid. Both are options. Yes, exactly. And and neither are good for the power grid. No, no, (laughs) no. It's just a toss up. You see, you never know. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, which kind of made it hard because our topic today, it's like she's in England. She's this. It's like, oh, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. Um, But before I get to her, I we... I know we want to do a shout out. Yes, absolutely. Yes, because we received an amazing gift from a very dear friend and um, a listener, Miss Shannon. And she made us these super cool mugs with our logo and flowers on them. And she made one for um, all of us, including our amazing producer slash spirit guide. Yeah, and we, we do have pictures of them, and we will share them on social media this week. We're just, oh my god, I'm so tickled. Like, 
They're so cute. And I love them so much. Yes, I love it. It just stays on my desk. So um, thank you so much, Shannon, for not only listening, but sending, making us these amazing mugs and sending them to us. They're awesome. Yeah, or making one for us. And one for each of us. Like, yeah. so much so much thank you so much i know so wanted to give her a very special shout out but i know this is going to be a big episode so should we just get right in because we have a lot to cover i mean based on what it sounded like throughout your research process i think the more time we can give you to get to the meat (laughs) of things is probably for the best because yeah, it sounds like a very intense topic, and I'm looking very much forward to hearing more about our uh, our topic person. <laughs> our person of the day. Well, and it's it's just that she accomplished so much in her life. And I'll tell the listeners, it was hard to decide what do you include, what do you leave out. I mean, I, at one point I was like, guys, this could be like a three-parter. So I will tell you, we're kind of doing... An overview, even though we're going to deep dive in some areas, it's really an overview of her life, her theology, and kind of everything. And then maybe in a future episode, I'd love to do a real deep dive into her beliefs and theology and how that really influenced spiritualism and really look, uh, really look into that more than we're going to probably do today. No, that sounds like it makes perfect sense. Give us the uh, 101 class and we'll get to the 301 class later. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, and, and I will tell you, we're going to start off because I'm going to tell you her name. I looked up how to pronounce um, part of her name on so many sources. I listened to an audiobook. I listened to YouTube videos. I listened to the British pronunciation versus the American pronunciation. <laughs> so... Just forgive me, because I have a feeling I'm going to say it, and somebody's going to be like, that's not how you say your name. I'm going to give you both pronunciations, and I think just pick one today. I'm just going to pick one. So here's the first version. It's Emma Hardinge Britton. So her middle name is, or it wasn't her middle name. It was her first married name. But I've heard it pronounced Hardinge. I heard it pronounced Harding. I've and heard I Harding eat- the most, usually when I have people yes! talking about it, but it is the American pronunciation and it's usually American podcasters that I've heard say it. So is it what? is Hardinge the British pronunciation? Well, here's the thing. I listened to two British people pronounce it. One said Hardinge, one said Harding. Oh, for pity's so, sake. Exactly. So I am sorry. I, I really don't know. I tried to do my research. I probably listened to it pronounced, I'm not exaggerating, seven or eight times. And it was one or the other each time. So I'm sorry, Emma in spirit, <laughs> if I am getting it wrong. But yeah, the last one I listened to was, it was a podcaster or somebody on YouTube um, who was from Great Britain and she kept saying Harding. So I don't know. That one's easier for me to say. So that's what I'm going to say. But I'm not saying that's the right way to pronounce it. So there you go. So our amazing spiritualism pioneer is Emma Harding Britton. And she was not only a medium, but she was an actor. She was a musician. She was a theologian, a writer, a publisher, political, and a political activist. Oh, gee, is that all? Uh, <laughs> that's all. Now you know. It's like, <laughs> how, where do we even start and end? Because she did so much in her life, but she really gained a sustained foothold in spiritualism. From the beginning, and her words and philosophy remain foundational doctrine in spiritualist church churches today. So, hmm. 
Just huge impact on the spiritualist movement. So let's learn a little more about her. So Miss Emma was born Emma Floyd on May 2nd, 1823 to Anne Sophia and Ebenezer Floyd in Bethnal Green, an area on the east end of London. And she was the eldest of four children. Now, by her own admission, she was an unusual child. In her autobiography, she reveals, um, and this is her quote, I fancy I was never young, joyous, or happy like other children. My delight was to still away alone and seek the solitude of woods and fields, but above all to wander in churchyards, cathedral cloisters, and old monastic ruins. So, so that's what she wants. So she's our people. Uh, yes, that's exactly what I thought when I read that. I'm like, I I get that. I understand that. And she said during these moments of solitude, she would often hear strange sounds in the form of exquisite music and hear voices uttering prophecies of future events. She recalled hearing servants talk in hushed voices at her ability to prophesize what was sure to come. And not surprisingly, she was often misunderstood by those around her and and. While they would talk about, which we're going to learn later, her amazing ability for and talent for music, and she had a fine voice, they would also talk about her ability to describe dead relatives as well. <laughs> wow. Uh, but, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I'm like, oh my gosh, I know so many people that would, that this is like, that was kind of me as a kid. <laughs> Fair. I mean, like I grew up. Ironically enough, I grew up scared of cemeteries, but like <laughs> you didn't have that fear. So like no. this is this is so is this like our introduction to Jessica's origin story? Maybe <laughs> maybe a little bit. Now, I will say as a child, or at least that I don't remember, even though I had imaginary friends, I don't remember seeing spirits like I never saw them. Like, yeah, I loved cemeteries when I was little and I would love to kind of, even though I had friends and I wasn't in all that, but I'd love time alone to just kind of imagine and I guess talk to my imaginary friends and spend time with them. I mean, to be fair, she may have also just been easily overstimulated and crowds of people stressed her out because I feel, I feel that too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Now, when she's 11 years old, it's really sad. Her beloved father, Ebenezer, dies. And so this is in 1834. And during this time, an unbearable, grief-stricken Emma would have an experience that's going to shape the rest of her life. So imagine her. She's 11 years old. She goes to the River Avon in Bristol to end her life. She was going to jump into the river because she wanted to be with her father that badly. Oh, no. I know. But before she jumped, she heard her father's voice calling her away from the bank. And then she felt his hand in her hand lead her home. And this was her quote from her book. It said, the sound of my dead father's voice bidding me to return to school and leading me back as I distinctly felt by the hand. And that just gives me chills. Oh, I want to cry. I- I know, I know. And she said that she would go on to write that she felt part of her died that night and shortly after was reborn. Kind of a new person. Oh, wow. So I know, I'm telling, and we're just getting started. I mean, she's kind of incredible. But with her father's passing, that means as the oldest child, she was now forced to begin working to help support her family. 
Emma was heartbroken and recounted the bitterness of death at her father's passing. And she recalled that as a little 11-year-old child, she now had to earn bread by teaching music. Which, I mean, I just, I know things were different back then. I get that. But 11 years old is still, that just still feels so young to me. Even though I know children started working earlier. I understand that. But doesn't mean it's not hard or right. I mean, different is a flexible concept because you have kids with paper routes and stuff now. And Mm, in all honesty, the only thing keeping a lot of kids from working like that now is child labor laws and forced attendance to public school. Like without without those two things, you you got kids probably eight years old working. Yeah, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. What she did, she began working as a music tutor and also... And this was known as a pupil teacher. So basically, she could continue her education at the school, but she was also teaching there as well. She was doing both. (laughs) It's grad school. Yeah, that's what I thought of. I was like, um, that sounds like when I was a TA at grad school. (laughs) Exactly. Yep. Grading papers while you're still going to school. Yep. Yep. I didn't finish grad school, but that is definitely what was happening. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. I didn't either. I decided because I was grading so many papers and loved it, I'm going to leave that and go become a teacher, which I did, which was I loved. But yeah, no, my, so my, my program just decided to try and screw me over. So I just stayed here and it sounds terrible. It's like very it's very pre-feminist movement. But I stayed here and got married instead of finishing grad school. <laughs> well, I don't. It was, I, you know what I always say? I say everything was meant to be. It was. It was very much time for yeah, it was time for me to leave New Mexico and be here permanently, or at least semi-permanently. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it was time and it was a thing. Yes. Like, I could definitely yes. feel the spirits being like, bitch, do not go back. You don't want to be there. That is not your place. You'll find a different yes. program later. Yeah. But yeah, no, that sounds very much like grad school. So you're going to teach, but you also get to keep learning and it's going to cover part of your tuition. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So that's what she was doing. And really, Emma proved to be a brilliant musician. And within a year, she was performing publicly on stage, playing music and singing. Um, She was honing her soprano voice during this time and had high hopes of making a career as an opera singer. Why is it always a soprano? I know it is. It is. I'm not only only an alto, I'm a contralto. Why is it always a soprano? (laughs) I know. I'm kind of (laughs) jealous. In November of 1838, at 15 years old, her name appeared in an advertisement for a performance at a fundraising event, and this is really marking the beginning of Britain's public career in life at that time, which was as a musician. Hmm. Now, this is where things take an interesting turn, and again, forgive me if I mispronounce his name. I've practiced it, but it's hard with my little Texas accent. But (laughs) as word of Emma's talent spread, she caught the attention of Pierre Erard. Hopefully I got that close. Pierre was the owner of a piano and pianoforte manufacturing shop in London and Paris. And he was actually the piano maker for Her Majesty Queen Victoria Ooh. at the time. So high up, very high up. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, now, Pierre hired Emma to play in his showroom daily while customers were shopping. Nice. So she could demonstrate. I know. That's a great job. That's solid gig, gig work to practice your skills. Oh, exactly. So she began working in a shop in London, and then later she traveled and would work in Paris, France. So her musical talents were not her only draw. It was also her stunning magnetic ability. So here's what she would do. So she would captivate audiences by playing any piece they desired before it was even requested. So basically, it sounds like she'd be like, what do you want to hear? But before they could say it, she'd just start playing it. 
Dude. Because she could psychically know what the person was going to request. And she would just amaze people that would come to hear her play by being able to do this. Holy moly. I know. It's so cool. Now, just like us, while everyone else is just amazed, Emma's mother grew concerned with her daughter's abilities and feared she was under some evil or it was the work of the devil. I mean, and also she was worried they may think and using the term back then was lunacy. And have her put away. So her mother is not really feeling this, but everybody else is loving it. And it's also worth noting that this is still well before the Fox sisters had heard the mysterious rappings. So she's pre-Fox sisters. Oh, yeah, because she was born in, she was born in what, 23, you said? Uh Uh-huh. And 11 years old. That's still early 30s. That's... Yeah. Yeah. Well, we do have this year Poughkeepsie up and rolling, but that's Mm -hmm. across the pond. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So this is pre-Fox Sisters. Now, it's this is where it's going to get a little Uh-oh. shady. Yep. You know what's coming. You Uh-oh. know what's coming. Also around the same time, in this time period, is Emma becomes involved in a group of wealthy and powerful individuals that were that she referred to as the Orphic Circle, hey. which engage. Yes, and they engaged in occult activities. And in one of the sources I read, it put it between 1838 and 1842, she's involved with them. So we're looking at when she's aged 15 to like 19 is when this is going on. Impressionable is all get out. Yes, yes. So, yeah. Like teenagers, teenagers know their own mind, but they're also, I mean, like most people, they're very... Hormones plus heavy-duty influences from people with money is not a great mix when you're not in a good position to defend yourself. And I'm just playing the odds here at 15 to 19. You're not in a great position to defend yourself against the influences of wealthy older people. No, no. And the Orphic Circle is an interesting mix of people. Yes, and we're going to talk about them a little bit, but this will probably be a deep dive for another episode. But just an overview. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They get their whole own episode yes. unto themselves, and yes. I'll probably drink heavily that week. <laughs> so their name was a reference to the ancient cult of Orpheus, a prophet of Greek mythology who descended into the underworld and returned with the secrets of life, death, and the deeper universe to civilize humankind. Ooh. So, um, yeah, Orpheus is kind of popular in Greek mythology. Like, for anyone who's a big fan of musicals, if you listen to Hades Town, it is... Literally the story of Orpheus. Yeah, he he's the one. And even if you haven't heard the musical, you I guarantee all of you have heard this story because it's the story of the musician who lost his wife to a snake bite. And he goes down into the underworld and he convinces Hades and Persephone to let him have his wife back. And the rule is as long as he doesn't turn back around on the way out. She will stay with him forever. And he gets almost to the end, has a moment of distrust, turns around and sees her shade or Um, It's basically a reflection of her. It's slightly different than a ghost, but it's basically a reflection of her persona on life, like saying, I love you. Goodbye. as She vanishes back into the underworld because he broke the deal and he doesn't get her back. Um, But like, yeah, no, Orpheus is super, super well known. And on one hand, I can see going with the Greek mythology, you know, Mm hmm. On the other hand, I mean, this is going to come into play when I have my commentary or when I, I don't know which one of us is going to do the episode on it, yeah. but the Orphic Circle, because Orpheus could entice anyone to do anything through his music. Like, 
if he was the Pied Piper, we'd be next level screwed as a species. Fortunately, he was not. Uh, but yeah, no, Orpheus is, oh, he's well known. He makes an appearance in everything, I think, except for maybe the Disney Hercules. I don't remember if he showed up in that, but like he was in Xena. He was in Young Hercules. He was in Sorbo's regular Hercules. He's in he's in all the Greek things because his story is so well known. Like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I absolutely love the uh, the side takes of like where Persephone's actually the one who's kind of running things because Hades. Uh-huh. Is, Hades is a really low key nerd in a lot of the stories. <laughs> Um, but Persephone is like, no, come in, darling, and I'm going to do things. Uh-huh. And um, like, she's the one who was like, no, babe, let him have his kid. Let, let him have his wife back. Like, yeah, he 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 came a long way. He's a cool dude. Like, let him have her have her back. <laughs> like, she was the influence who did it. And I love those stories. Like Persephone, kind of just low key running things because her husband's a D and D style nerd. Um, that's definitely a modern adaptation of the mythos. So like, if you are part of the Greek pantheon, don't come at me. I love Hades. He's my boy. (laughs) No, I love those stories. And yeah, Orpheus is super, super, super well known, has been for centuries. So I like in on one hand for a group of wealthy people who want to be enticing to the world and mysterious, Mm -hmm. I can see why you'd go with Orpheus on the other hand. For those of us who got our school reports from Wikipedia, that was an easy grab and they cheated like nobody's business. <laughs> well, no, ex- exactly. And thank you for going through that. No, that was awesome. I was I was a hardcore Greek mythology nerd like for half my life. Like it's not even fun. I got into arguments with my I got into arguments with my English teachers in high school. I love it. Funny. No, that was awesome. That was awesome. And thank you for sharing that because I didn't know that much about it. And we may have listeners, even though they probably already knew, but I learned more about it today. (laughs) Now, even though their name was a reference to Orpheus, the members preferred to apply the term Mercury to themselves in private after the classical messenger of the gods and messenger of divination because they saw themselves as keeper of the secret doctrine of Orpheus. So that's what they kind of call each other. I'm going to be another nerd and point out the flimsy whims of rich people throughout time because so Brie, you can cut this out if you need to. Uh, Romeo and Juliet. The reason Mercutio was named that is because it was a reference Mm -hmm. to the god of Mercury and the quicksilver Mm -hmm. metal that we named after him. Uh, fluid in his emotions and his proclivities. Given 30 seconds and he won't change his opinion, his mind, and his attitude about you. Yes. So, yeah, yeah rich people in a super secret sect. You do, mm, <clears throat> Mercury <laughs> is dead-ass accurate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. And so we're going to keep diving into him a little more. Now, Emma described them as a masculine society who claimed an affiliation with the societies derived from the ancient mysteries of Egypt, Greece, and Judea. But in Victorian London, members of the Orphic Circle met regularly to study esoteric manuscripts, undertake metaphysical experiments using electricity, magnetism, clairvoyance, and even moonlight to explore humankind's true potential. They also explored possible ways to communicate and even spy on other secret societies and their gatherings, which today I would think of as they were doing remote viewing. They were trying to do remote view what these other secret societies were doing. I had the same thought. Yeah. 
Nothing breeds more secrecy like a secret society. Exactly. Um, so we're going to re- remote view on their secret societies, too, and see what they're doing. And they may be remote viewing on the Orphic Circle. But now they use techniques such as scrying with mirrors, crystal balls, and court quartz obelisks for prophecy, revelation, and inspiration. Now here's where I'm going to, um, for our audience, we're going to add a little warning. Because this is where it's going to get uncomfortable. So just warning ahead of time. Content warning. Content warning right now. Um, so... The Orphic Circle made use of children as clairvoyants and somnibalists, or, and I probably mispronounced it, but somnibalists, which is, I had to look this up, and it's like basically like sleepwalking, mm. which they're putting them in trances. It's mm. really, like they're in trances. Um, so Emma recalled that their experiments were helped by various young ladies who would be in a state of trance for the duration of these tests Mm. she described their use of children and this is her quote i and many other young persons assisted at their private sessions and the quality of symbolist or mesmeric subjects and of course all the children including emma were sworn to secrecy Mm. yeah super uncomfortable you can just read between the lines you don't even have to have the details. Super. Yeah, the words between the lines are bigger than the lines themselves. Anytime yes. you're using kids like that, it's mm-hmm. uh, no, 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 it's really rough. I'm not even super comfortable with the mediums whose parents use them as children to get money no. for the family. Like, obviously you need to eat, but like, right. that's bad enough. This is strange people using your kids and putting them in a trance. Nope. Yes. And mainly all men in this secret. Yeah, it's not good. It's not no. good. For Emma's role, they harnessed what they believed to be Emma's clairvoyance. And it said that they were also the ones paying for her musical training. So they were putting her through school, paying for her musical training while they were using her. So she owed them. Yeah. And so if this isn't enough, it's suggested in her autobiography that around this time in her life, she ex- experiences some form of severe trauma. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not shocking. So, she, and this is her quote. She recalled that during her time as a music scholar, she became impelled to repeatedly rise from her bed in her sleep and go out into the street to preach, recite, and enact fearful scenes. And basically her wild cries and screams or alarmed her mother as they should with whom she was still living. And in the end, after she did this repeatedly over and over and over, it put so much pressure on her vocal cords that she destroyed her soprano voice and her chance at ever having a career as an opera singer. And we don't exactly, again, read between the lines. We don't exactly know what she went through. It was obviously traumatic. Now, there is one, I mean, there was probably several things, if we're being honest, but there is one the- prominent theory on what was giving her these nightmares. Um, so some scholars believe it's connected to what she once referred to as her youthful marriage. So scholars suggest that her description of herself as married actually refers to a longstanding claim that a member of the Orphic Circle tricked a barely conscious Emma into a temporary mystic marriage. Ew. Yeah. And we don't have, at least, I didn't see details. I didn't want to know details. We just know it was a temporary mystic marriage. This, Yeah, the story goes that on waking from a trance, Emma realized that the marriage was not an official union. 
Now, because she didn't have any legal recourse, she adopted a version of the man's surname to force him to acknowledge the abuse Mm. she had suffered at his hands. So I can't come after you legally, but I'm going to change my name to your name. So you're always going to know what you've done. Kind of like a yes. There's also a reference to a marriage in a biography that was written by a close friend in 1869. And it said that a 15-year-old Emma married a much older gentleman and was she was widowed by age 18. Now that's the only mention of a marriage. Like this it, it's not something that's like in the records. It's just kind of but that that is the only mention of an actual marriage. So again, while there's no proof of this, it is curious that during the same time period, Emma abruptly changed her last name from Floyd to Harding or Hardinge. And she appeared for the first time as Miss Emma Harding at the Adelphi Theater in London in the early 1840s, which was really unusual because she had already established herself as Emma Floyd. That's how she was known. And so why would she abruptly change her name? And it's believed that he was a member of the prominent and and powerful family. So to end this, because I know this is a really, really awful thing to be talking about. Emma would regard this time of her life as one of serious exploitation. Mm -hmm. She was extremely bitter about the pressures heaped on poor struggling actresses by a vicious aristocracy. Mm -hmm. She even singled out one cruel and remorseless persecutor for particular criticism. Mm. This anonymous millionaire had, quote, pressured theater managers to withdraw offers of roles from her so with nowhere else to turn she'd be forced to turn to him for his protection. why did you keep it anonymous that sounds like blast his name everywhere well obvious and, and I, there uh, this is also peace post movement so like blast his name blast his name blast his name but i understand that's valid right and, and there are scholars that have looked into this. So, I mean, and this is something we I would totally love to dive into more. There there are families, again, with the Harding or Hardinge, we're not really sure, that name, that they, they do think they have an idea, at least down to one or two people, of who it was. Like, they're pretty sure, because um, they were part of the society, they had the same name. So it's not like it's a complete mystery. Uh, they do have a really good idea of at least what family. So, do came they from. think that the guy sure. that forced her into the mystic marriage was the same one that pressured theater yeah. managers not to give her roles? Ooh, yes. that's yes. shady. So, yeah, other words that I can't say on the yes. podcast. That's kind of the worst of her story. So it it does get better from this Yay. point on, but that's that's really tough. But you can see how it can definitely shape her for the remainder of her life now sadly she's lost her beautiful voice due to these awful horrible screaming fits caused by the nightmares so at the age of 19 emma left opera behind and embarked on her career as a stage actress so she first joined a british theater company that was performing shakespeare in paris which yeah that sounds amazing (laughs) like that's a wonderful gig. Um, and it was actually while she was performing in Paris that she received an offer of nine months work at a Broadway theater in New York City. Oh, wow. Yes. And um, her mom jumped on it. Like, yeah, Emma took a little convincing, but her mom was like, no, we're doing this, um, <laughs> which makes sense. So in need of a fresh start, obviously, Emma and her mother traveled across the Atlantic to America and arrived in 1855. Horace Greeley's. New York Tribune noted her arrival <laughs> in America, 
And the New York Herald said that it was part of an effort to recruit actors of repute and popularity. And that's why she had come. It always comes back to Greeley. It does. It does. I laughed when I saw that. He's all in it. Now, it's a little bit sad, but it's going to get happy again. Her run of luck in the American theater would not last. It, It just did not go well. She clashed with the manager that brought her to America and would only perform sporadically with the new company and was kind of given second tier roles. However... Despite this, she did continue to receive decent attention from the press regarding her performances, Hmm. and she also began making friends with prominent citizens of New York and members of the theater community. So she's still getting out and meeting people, even though the acting career is kind of tanking a little bit. Now, you're going to love this. Also, during this time, Emma began attending seances, because (laughs) we are now past the Fox sisters. (laughs) <laughs> the the Hydesville wrappings have happened and so it's it's a big thing we're about seven years out from that and it, it, it this would make a lot of sense Emma wasn't really eager to go to seances to begin with not shocking after what happened with the Orphic Circle like she mm. was not she didn't want to have anything to do with it but she yep. ended up going and there she witnessed many mystical experiences but it's funny, she wasn't impressed with them at first. So um, she actually, like the first ones she went to were just like, this is this is a bunch of crap. This isn't real. Like they, <laughs> she just was not impressed with them. And But she kept going because she was trying to build up enough material to write a scathing article about American spirit, like American seances. And she was going to oh. call it American fooleries. So that's why she kept going. It's like, oh, I just need to get more material for this article. She went Houdini on them? She was, she started to. She started to, but. Oh my God. A big, but she had a change of heart. So she must have gone to some good ones too. Yeah. And after her Broadway contract expired in 1856, she began her development as a medium holding public seances and giving music lessons as well in the rooms of the Society for the Diffusion of Spiritual Knowledge in New York. On July 5th, 1857, she gave her debut trance lecture at Troy, New York. It would be the start of her life as a spiritual medium. And her career is just going to take off. She begins holding frequent lectures and developing her own theology of modern spiritualism. And her trance lectures grow from small little gatherings to large audiences, sometimes in the hundreds and eventually the thousands. So she's taking off. She was lauded for her magnificent oratorical powers, commanding and highly presentable stage appearance with dramatic power and feeling. I mean, she was an actress Mm -hmm. and an exuberant command of the language. So her ideas reached many people in diverse public venues, such as Masonic Hall's Mechanics Hall, which was a place that held 2,500 people, thanks to Caitlin and the quick search, opera houses, music halls, theaters, and even outside amphitheaters. So, I mean, she is commanding large audiences. Um, She's also putting together elaborate performances with other people. So one of the ones in New York, Britain arranged the programs for it. She taught says her recruits their parts, rehearsed the music, accompanied the singers, and um, arranged the tableau 
acted as a band teacher, a stage manager, and she was a performer. So, I mean, she's also putting together productions on stage, which her theatrical background proved really useful. Yeah, that's no small feat. No, and she's using her entertainment background to draw these people in. And I love this. She even confessed to using theatrical modes of lighting to set the mood. So she burned materials and fire pans that would cast lighting onto the stage. So if it was a red glare, it would evoke ghastly phantoms, while white would create a heavenly aspect of angelic appearance. Now, this is what's kind of funny. This was also really dangerous and could go so wrong because the smoke could cause performers or actors to choke and be blinded, Mm -hmm. as well as the audience and seance members. So... It added an effect, but you had to do it right, or it's not going to go well. I just love that she's a performer, but she thinks like a techie. Yes. Oh, yes. I mean. (laughs) That's brilliant. Exactly. And I mean, you can do a whole deep dive on just how she's incorporating theater. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It was so hard to not just make this three or four parts. Now, in addition to this, she also, um, Emma's work in modern spiritualism became wholly entrenched in the United States during the Civil War. So the 1860s also served as the beginning of her political involvement in causes of anti-slavery, women's rights, rehabilitation opportunities for outcast women, labor issues, and more. I know, I, and they don't really explain that, but I'm probably thinking maybe women that have had to turn to means to make money yeah sex work yeah it it reminds me of the way the west was developed with the women of quote-unquote ill repute who became complete matrons of society because they were the women who were out there yes um and you were rehabilitated because you left your life of sin like no you just hit a different phase of your life quit judging but yeah that's what it reminds me of too that's what I kind of thought it was. Now, in the years leading up to the Civil War, Emma had traveled around the U.S. with a particular focus on the southern states in 1859 and 1860, and she promoted progressive social reforms, including anti-slavery. In the South, and she didn't die? I know. So she starts in the North um, in 1859, and then after that, she started touring the southern United States right as tensions between the North and South were escalating. So this is pretty brave. This is a pretty tense, tense time. So while she was greeted with protest, she also found devoted followers throughout the South. So it was a little bit of a mix. This is a really, it's just kind of a hotbed right now. Like, Yeah, I mean, there were were abolitionists in the South, too. Like, they were the ones helping, you know, the early stages of the Underground Mm -hmm. Railroad. So, of course, she was able to find people who supported it. I'm just... That's, given the political climate of the South right now, that's a gamble. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad she didn't get attacked or done, because being a woman, or being a woman in the South at that time, talking about things that are not, mm-hmm. that will, talking about, talking against things that are super popular by the general right. populace at the time, that's, uh, honestly good for her. That's, that's freaking amazing. Yeah. Well, and it, it, her political worked in, in there because in 1864, she was involved um, in political work through her lecture circuit on behalf of Abraham Lincoln's election campaign. And she even delivered a lecture, the coming man or the next president of the United States. So she's even working with the election campaign. And sadly, 36 hours after his assassination, Emma, uh, 
Emma delivered an impassioned speech in support of the life and work of the murdered president to a stunned crowd, and it says of upwards of 3,000 people. So, I mean, not only is she doing political work, she's tied right up with the president. I mean, I know, very cool. Um, now, at the end of the Civil War, she does finally return to London um, for the first time. And and she had developed a following in the U.S. and really wanted to kind of expand that into her home country. And while she will never fully move back to England, she will make several trips throughout her life to expose the country to what she considered the sophistication of American spiritualism. <laughs> Which I think it's kind of funny. Only because, um, and and this is not to say we don't have amazing mediums here. So please don't take it as that. But I know a lot of American mediums are now turning to the English and the British because they feel they've they're much more sophisticated. I just love you the idea of anyone calling the Americans sophisticated compared to Europe. I know Um, it's it just feels like it's kind of flip flopped a little bit now. It it it's not just flip flopped now because you've definitely got a point about the. The European, especially English mediums, and they're not, I don't, I wouldn't say sophisticated. I'd say that their training has been uninterrupted by puritanical bullshit coming through. Um, Sorry for my language, but like we had the, we've had the new age movement and a few other things that have happened in the last 150, 200 years in the U.S., but it's been tempered by backlash that sucks. Whereas like. England hasn't had the same, at least from what I understand, they haven't had the same level of backlash every couple of decades to kind of. Yeah, they have because they have stories of getting protests and, you know, people calling them witches. I mean, it's not like they haven't faced any, but it's just and there's such a what I've discovered again, not that America doesn't have this, but it's such like a professional like there's such a standard over there that it's not like a few like everybody like it, it's just it's different they just treat it differently over there for sure that's kind of what i meant by generational like we had the i so not to blame world war Two, but um post world war Two, i blame the nuclear age for why mm-hmm. we had we had like a massive interruption on what's mm-hmm. considered psychic development and mediumship because we right. had it strong from before the civil war through the civil war mm-hmm. through world war one hit the da- jazz age we were good World War II hit, we had the nuclear family, this is what a proper American family does. Mm-hmm. And that held through the 60s. Like, that was 20 years of solid American values right. before we started pushing back on different aspects politically, yeah. spiritually, and what have right. you. I feel like Britain didn't have that interruption. I, I, I don't, I, I agree with you. And if someone lives over there and knows this, please write in. Please, like, fill yes. us in. But. For my lim- I'll say for my limited knowledge, yes, that's what it really feels like because they had established churches and like every town had their spiritualist church and they didn't really go away. And I think that really helped too, mm-hmm. that it really is a religion over there. Not for everybody that practices, but for a lot of people, it's very much viewed as a religion and you're going to church where in America we didn't. That was lost, and we we still have not gained that back. We had to here. do it on the sly for so yeah. long. Like it's only yeah. just now becoming accepted again in the last five ten years. Yeah. So, like exactly, it's it's establishment. Like we yes. we may quote unquote may have started it. 
which we totally didn't because I feel like this is an ongoing thing throughout all of human history. But of like, course, of course. The spiritualism movement, if you will. The modern like, spiritualism. Yes. Exactly. So the modern spiritualism movement may have begun in the U.S. with the Fox sisters, but it didn't get interrupted the same way it did over... Right. Like, because over there, it seems, unless there's something I'm missing in British history, right. it didn't have that hard stop of America's origin story with puritanical values saying what you're doing is wrong, stop it or we'll hang you yeah. uh, every few decades. I, I agree. And, and again, if somebody's an expert or knows more about this, please, please, please fill us in and write us in because I think it's fascinating. But For um, sure. so, so Emma returns to London. She, she held her first lecture on modern spiritualism on November 6, 1865. It was a private London soiree. Soiree. Sorry. I'm going to leave it in. I can't say that word. For soiree. Soiree. I don't know why. that. You know how everybody has those words you just can't say, and that one is one I have trouble with. So thank you, Caitlin. With hundreds of guests eager to hear about the relatively new phenomenon of modern spiritualism. Now, during the lecture, she attempted to answer a question the audience had secretly written down before she appeared. And so they used this technique a lot where they'd have members of the audience write questions and then the medium would have to answer those questions without seeing the question and it wouldn't allow them to prepare ahead of time. So the question they wrote down, and I'm paraphrasing this a little bit, was, and what particulars are the teachings of Christianity and the facts recorded in the Gospels explained and confirmed by spiritualism? That's what they wanted to know. And her, with her answer, you start seeing the beginning of her theology. So that evening, she professed that the miracles of Christ and his disciples were no different from the magnetic phenomena of modern spiritualism. Um, she listed the miracles in the various gospels and exposed their similarity to the modern spiritualist movement. And she even said Jesus's life and ministry offered examples of the powerful use of magnetic healing, clairvoyance, and prophecies that have been used throughout the ages and 500 years after Christ. Powerful priests made it illegal for laymen to perform the phenomena. And if you did, you were stigmatized as witches and persecuted. So that, I'm sure she went into more depth, but that was basically her answer to them. And that kind of leads us into this last part is a little bit of her theology because it plays such a huge role in spiritualism. Now, again, this could be a whole episode. So any real followers of Emma... I'm just giving an overview. So that that's what we're getting today. So Britain created her brand of spiritualism through her own research, philosophy, and spiritual influence. Now, she borrowed from ancient and modernist thought and linked spiritualism to science in an attempt to, attempt to bridge the divide between the two. So she defines spiritualism as a religion of the ages more ancient than the major established religions of the world. And in fact, she believed those religions were based on the natural laws of spiritualism. And that's where they had come from. And Britain, like most spiritualists, believe mediumship was just kind of a key tenet. And mediumship is just a connection with the spirit realm. And that this had occurred through the ages as a natural wonder. And of course, the soul never dies. And... And we are, we've talked a little bit about this. She also talked about how wise men had heard voices, had dreams, and received truth the same way modern spiritualists did. And she presented evidence in ancient Egypt, in Greece, in Rome, that this had been going on. 
And she also, and this is a whole deep dive, but that all religions evolved from each other. But it's kind of like spiritualism was the most ancient. And so that's that's a very broad overview. But that's kind of a little bit of her theology. And Now, she didn't agree with all spiritualists at the time. She did have a few dissenting views. And that was on reincarnation and free love. So I'm guessing she wasn't a fan of free love. Um, that wasn't a favorite of hers. So, oh, no. So she would not have gotten along with uh, Vicki Woodhull. I, I thought that, too. I know. I'm like, that would be interesting to have those two in a room together. <laughs> so but um, so, you know, she disagreed with that. So to kind of this last little section, we're going to talk a little bit about the seven principles and we're not going to dive deep into them, but I just wanted to share them because this is what she's best known for are the seven principles of spiritualism. And now they've been adopted as an integral part of the spiritualist national union and all members abide by these. Like you live Hmm. your life by these seven principles. And she delivered them on April 30th in 1871 at Cleveland hall, London. She delivered a lecture trance lecture And this is what came through. So we're just doing a very quick overview. Number one, the fatherhood of God, which is the acceptance of a divine energy that created all that is and sustains creation. Mm -hmm. Number two, the brotherhood of man. We are all part of this universal creative force, and therefore we are one family, and we should love each other and treat each other well. Okay. Three, the communion of spirits and the ministry of angels. So communion with divine energy is natural and an essential part of existence. And communication between spirit itself and humans is an inherent ability. We're just, everybody can do this. All right. I know. So far, good. Number four, the continuous existence of the human soul. Spirit is part of the creative force and thus indestructible. Mm-hmm. So we ta- I've heard people talk about this energy can't be destroyed. It just mm-hmm. merely changes form. So number five, we got three more to go. Number five, personal <clears throat> responsibility. And this is a big one. So it says we are blessed with enormous potential to improve our own lives and the lives of others, which each of us makes of our life is our personal responsibility. So basically you can't blame other people. It's yes, that's a big one. And I know that can be a hard one for people because I've heard people talk Mm -hmm. about that one before. And the last. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a big one. Number six, compensation and retribution hereafter for all the good and evils deeds done on earth. So. As we make choices in life, the outcome of those choices affects our soul growth. And when we leave this earth, there will be no divine judgment, but we will have the opportunity to reassess, take stock, and decide what what might have been done differently. <laughs> like, what should we have done? Ooh, so, it's like an exit interview. Yes, like a life review. Yes. Um, and I the, like that. Yes. Yes. And the very last one. Eternal progress open to every human soul. So attorney does not begin at death. Progress is open to all and there will always be the opportunity to develop and move forward. No one is ever deprived of all of the all embracing love of the divine. So I think that kind of rules out like you're not going to go to hell. You always have the opportunity to if you believe in hell. I know not everybody does. But I mean, in theory, like you're you always have the opportunity to. Yeah, and the way she phrased that, it's like eternity is the always because like it isn't it doesn't begin at death. Right. If you join if you're paying attention now mm-hmm. and even if you're not. OK, I said that completely backwards. Um, basically, the the now is part of eternity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like that's. Oh, I like that. 
Yes. And if anybody's interested, you can find so much about these principles. And I gave an overview. I mean, there are paragraphs for each one, so you can really do a deep dive. But um, and these principles were adopted by the Spiritualist National Union and incorporated into their memorandum of association when it registered as a company in 1901. So that's kind of when they brought these in. And like I said, members accept these as their way of life. So I know, I know. So that's a huge deal. And kind of to end, Emma, besides all of that, I mean, in addition to everything else, she was also... (laughs) What more can you need? what What more can she do? She was an accomplished writer. She was the author and editor of numerous books including 19th century miracles or spirits in their work in every country of the earth, modern American spiritualism, a 20 years record of the communion between earth and the world of spirits and Ghostland, or researches into the mysteries of the occultism. And she had others as well. Those are just a few. And she was also the founder of the two worlds, a weekly spiritualist newspaper and her writings and lectures are still around. They shed light on her theology and her role in the growth and spread of modern spiritualism. And why it was so important is because spiritualists relied upon these lectures and writings of people such as Britain because they had no standard text. They didn't have anything. So it basically creates their standard text. And and with the seven principles, she also introduced 10 new commandments, 10 laws of right. And many relied on these as their doctrine. Um, and, of course, her theology was spread in monthly, biweekly, magazines, periodicals. It went around the world. Um, and also during this time, she got married, by the way, in the middle of this. <laughs> wait, this, wait, wait. Properly married? Properly married. Properly married. <laughs> like she was conscious and, like, consented and stuff, I right? mean, this lady never stopped. So the same year her book came out, Modern Spiritualism, she also married spiritualist William Britton on October 11th, Aww. 1870. And during their lives together, Emma and William would travel to Australia, New Zealand, the U.S., and England as missionaries, spreading the message of spiritualism. Um, And she was also one of the founding members of the Theosophical Society. So after that long and very accomplished life that we probably didn't even cover half of it, we did an overview. (laughs) Um, In 1899, at the age of 76, Emma returned to England and passed away in Manchester. And just Emma's insights and theology remain foundational in today's spiritualist teachings and churches. And in his book, The History of Spiritualism's Volume 1 and 2, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle claimed that Emma was integral to the history of spiritualism because, quote, she threw her whole enthusiastic temperament into the young movement and left a mark upon it which is still visible. He even recalled that at the time, she was called the female St. Paul of the movement. Ooh. I know. And that is Miss Emma. And I just adore her. I, like, I still want to do more deep dives on her life. Like, I feel like I'm just skimming the surface. But it's just amazing to me that all I ever heard was Fox Sisters, Fox Sisters. And it's like... Why have we not heard about her, even just in general history? I mean, she's a women's rights activist. She's an anti-slavery act. I mean, like, where yeah. has she been in history? Like, she's mentioned in passing at most. Like, yes. listening to, um, oh, what is it? Unobscured by Aaron Mankey. Like, mm-hmm. they mentioned her in passing. Yes. Like, how do you how do you not focus entire series on her like this could be a mini series unto itself 
Oh, I thought about that too, just from her childhood, the Orphic. So- exactly. Oh my God. I feel like she's, I don't want to say lost, but it's like we need to bring her more to the forefront. Even if you're not into spiritualism, if that's not your thing, fine. Her life is still fascinating. I mean, yeah, she's been dismissed a little too much. Yes. And even in the spiritualist history, it's kind of like, I mean, because even when I was looking at books, it's like, well, she had the seven principles. I was like, okay, well, what else? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. But like, then you think about like what brought her to the seven principles. And by the way, the seven principles is something we acknowledge in yes. the spiritualist history yes. of the U.S. Like, yes. she contributed to like accepted yeah. theology of the time, and we talk about her in passing, like. I know, I know, I know the answer to this, but like, how misogynistic can history be? <laughs> like, come on. I know. And just think about it. And I only say this because of the it, the time period. Like, she she was so unique. Like, she got married a lot later in life. She was working. Yeah. She was writing. It wasn't your typical get married, have a family. So, and not that there's anything wrong with it, but for a woman of this time period, that I mean, yeah. that's she was so independent and on her own, and and it's just, it's it's a it's a lot more rare for for this for that day and age to see that. No, absolutely. And I have to, it's it's going to sound worse than it is. Maybe mm-hmm. for I don't know how many I don't know how many of our lovely wonderful listeners are uh, theater savvy, uh-huh. but. I have to wonder if because she thinks like a techie, she forgets to put herself along with what she's saying. Oh, I don't know. Like, because what was important for her were the seven principles. Like, that needed to speak for itself. Whoever shared them, the important part Mm -hmm. was that the word got out. Mm -hmm. And, like, the because I I can tell she thinks like a techie based on the way she did her productions. Like, I have a similar approach to the stage where I love being center stage, but ooh, put me backstage where I can help other people be center stage and I am happier than anything. Yeah. And I have to wonder if she thought so much like a techie that she energetically put Mm -hmm. herself behind her work. Right. And as long as the work was shared, she didn't care who got credit, and so history isn't giving her credit. Yeah, I mean, it, it very well could be. I, I, and nothing against them. I just, as I was reading this, reading her biography, I'm like, so, it, again, we still love them, but it's always the Fox sisters. It's always the Fox sisters. It's mm-hmm. always the Fox sisters. And it's like, where? No, it should be a lot about Emma. Like, we need mm-hmm. to bring her into this discussion here. Like, Absolutely. Um, but, and if anybody's interested, like I said, she wrote several books. You can still get them on Amazon. Um, she has an autobiography, um, that you can buy. I had to go through, I believe it, and I'll, we may have to do Cover Me and Talk, but I believe it was through the Spiritualist National Union. That one's a little trickier. We may could put a link to that, actually, or like. That's a good idea. We have, we have, there is a form of talking dentist office elevator music like we can we can find that yes oh it is <laughs> it's the spiritualist national union has like a whole shop with all these books of these amazing mediums and you can get her autobiography there oh wow but there's also if people don't want to pay which i totally get there's also an amazing dissertation too that was written by lisa a Howe, and it was entitled The Spirited Pioneer, The Life of Emma Hardage Britton. And it was a wealth of resources. So Ooh. it was an amazing source. But you can just Google it and find it online. If you type in oh. Emma Harding Britton, you can read the whole thing. It, it's incredible. So um, want to 
give her a shout out. That that was a great resource too. So there's a lot about her out there. So let's spread the word on Miss Emma. Exactly. Like we need a techie in the spotlight, y'all. Yes. Come on, we can do this. I love her. I know. It's amazing. Yes. Yes. So I appreciate y'all listening to Emma's story and sharing her story. It's heartbreaking. It's inspiring. It's all the things. Because like she went from a gifted child to a what sounds like PTSD ridden young adult who... Oh, bless her trauma nightmares made her ruin her soprano voice, which I mean, I'm a salty alto, but it still breaks my heart. Yes. And then like goes and creates a whole life Mm -hmm. that reflects what she believes. And it's so complex, it can't be captured by history. And so history is like, eh, screw it. We'll just remember (laughs) what she said. Yes. Until one of us writes a book, writes a new book. Yes. Yes, I still vote that you write the book because you did the research, but I will help you with it. Yes. Oh, yes. And it's going to take a lot more research. But yeah, I would love that would be a dream to write it because there are books about her, obviously, but like write a modern take. And yeah, if I missed one that's out there, I apologize. But um, I think I think that would be cool. So maybe put it on the little bucket list. Bucket list to write yes. this book. <laughs> On the list of things to do before yes, you die. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, there we go. Wow, she's intense. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. I don't even know how long it's gonna take me to process everything you told me today <gasps> well, about her. Cause... I know. That's why I kept messaging y'all, and I'm like, guys, guys, I, I don't, I don't know. What, what, this is getting. This is gonna be hard. This is a lot. <laughs> like, <laughs> like this is extreme. Yeah, no, like, I absolutely understand. Like, I I believed you at the time, uh-huh. but you were messaging, and I'm just like, wow, how impressive can this woman be? Turns out they were super impressive. Yes, like, yes, super yeah. impressive. Holy moly. Mm-hmm. Well. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess while I'm reeling, I'm, I'm hoping our listeners aren't too far dusted, and uh, they can hear me say thank you so much for listening. Um, and if you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor and appease the podcast gods by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, remember to hit subscribe so you know when we release new episodes. Also, we want to hear from you. So let us know what you think about this episode and if there are any other spirited topics you want us to explore in future episodes. Of course, you can always find us on Instagram or Facebook at Calling All Spirits Pod, or you can email us at CallingAllSpiritsPod at gmail.com. And if you're feeling lucky, you can try any of the myriad of options that Jess covered in the Tools of the Seance episode. And I will again warn you that if you try my Ouija board, the planchette's on a different shelf. So I wish you the best of luck. (laughs) That sounds wonderful. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.